Hi, I'm Annie. And I'm Anna. And you're listening to The Other other Half. So this is a podcast about the other half of a lot of things. So we're, we're packing a lot into this podcast. And what we mostly want to talk about is the other half of math. That half of math that you don't hear about when you're sitting in math class, maybe feeling bored. And we also want to talk about the other half of life. Social issues. Yeah. The, the things that we think can be explained by math um, in kind of a more hidden way than many people believe they are. And I think the other reason that we're calling ourselves the other half, right, is that we are the other half. Half of the world is made up of women. Actually, slightly more than half of the world, I think. We represent that half which is not necessarily super common in mathematics and in podcasts about mathematics. So let's just quickly introduce ourselves. I am Anna Hench. I'm a professor of mathematics at Duquesne University. I'm Annie Roram, and I'm a policy associate at Weldon Cooper Center for Public Service at University of Virginia. So then, without further ado, we bring you The Other other half. Half. Today's episode is going to be about racism and segregation. Yeah, so like fraught topics. <laughs> totally. And we definitely want to acknowledge that uh, racism, segregation, bias, uh, we don't take any of these lightly and we don't expect to uh, plumb them fully during, I don't know, what do we expect, like 20 minutes, 25 max? Yeah, right. Like we're really going to get to the heart. <laughs> Certainly we won't get to the depth, but I guess what we can do is... As much as we can understand them, we hope that we can impart upon our listeners some tools to just give them ways to think about racism and segregation so that you can at least have some tools at your disposal to start to understand how to think about them, if not um, actually understand them. And the tools that we're specifically talking about are tools that come from a toolbox that we love a lot. (laughs) toolbox that we like to call mathematics. (laughs) So uh, we really just wanted to get that out there. You know, we're trying to treat this with as much care and respect as possible. If we're going to start to talk about racism and segregation, I guess a really good place to start would be to understand how actually racist and segregated we are in this country. So maybe, maybe if we could get an idea of what race everyone in this country is and where they live. Right. So we want to get a kind of a picture of race and segregation in this country. Ideally, we could understand the race of every single person living in the United States of America, but that would be like a big, gigantic data set. So we would need someone who can really wrangle a big data set, like one of these data analysts. Maybe a data analyst who also goes by data scientist? Perhaps. That sounds like a pretty knowledgeable person. You know anyone like that? Yeah, actually, uh, you know, I do. And um, I gave him a call recently to see if he could help us imagine race in this country in kind of pictorial form. Here's how it went. Hey, Dustin. Mm -hmm. Ooh, I have this feeling that I might not have captured any of that just now. Oh my god! (laughs) I didn't hit play. Gosh. Well, I mean, it's, this is your first one, is it? Or Yeah, I'll never do that again. 
So that did not go so well. But fortunately, Dustin is a uh, kind man and allowed us to ask some questions of him again later. So that we may save them into perpetuity. Into perpetuity, indeed. I'm Dustin Cable. I am a data scientist for the policy and communications team at Facebook. And when I created the racial dot map, I was a senior research associate for the Weldon Cooper Center for Public Service at the University of Virginia. Dustin and I worked together briefly. And during the time that we worked together, which was right before his move to Facebook, where he is currently a data scientist, he created an incredibly beautiful work of art that he called the racial dot map. Before I created the racial dot map, I used to work in political redistricting. And ever since then, I've always been fascinated about how race defines and creates communities. And I wanted to visualize that in a very compelling way. And the cool thing about this map is that it takes data from the census, which is a pretty big data set. The census happens every 10 years, and the Census Bureau makes an effort to gather some basic demographic data points on every single individual in the country. They get people's age, their gender, their race, their ethnicity, and where they live. And this is kind of a big deal because you can use that information to paint an actual picture of the United States by plotting individuals' race or ethnicity against their location, which is exactly what Dustin did. So he made a, he took a map of the United States and put like a a pinpoint in it for every single person in the country or what? That's exactly right. Think of it just like that to start. There's a dot on the map for where every single person in the country lives. So we get a very good image of where people live in the country. And then there's one added layer of complexity on top of that because he color-coded these dots. He assigned five different colors to the dots on the map and gave white people, black people, Asians, Latinos, and other races each individual colors. What is fascinating and what a lot of people have grasped and gotten really interested in is the story it tells us, which is a story of some pretty astounding community segregation. Like I said, um, white people and black people, Asians, Latinos, others, each of those five groups is given a different color to represent them. So for instance, whites are represented by blue dots and blacks are represented by green dots. And you can really see that there are neighborhoods all across the country that are primarily green or blue. And there are even some stark dividing lines that separate parts of cities. I'll say I've looked at this thing before and it is really crazy how stark the dividing lines are, as you say. In cities especially, you can see where there are white neighborhoods or black neighborhoods and it's divided along a street. And it's kind of visually shocking to see even though like I don't know you're kind of aware of it if you're looking at the city you live in you kind of have a sense for the demographic but to like see it plopped out in little points is kind of weird yeah and to see it over and over so you know not just in the city that you're living in like Pittsburgh but 
in D.C. and Richmond and Trenton and New York, all over the place, we see these really similar patterns, which really are that people of the same race or ethnic group frequently live together and apart from people of other races and ethnic groups. Another perhaps even starker visual that you get from this map is something that I know has really struck you before. There are little green boxes that crop up all over the United States. And I really mean green boxes. There are squares of green that often show up in less densely populated areas. And if you cross-reference the location of those green boxes with correctional facilities or jails, they land right on top of each other, which is an amazing reminder of who are populating the jails in this country. You're seeing then not only segregation by choice, I'm using air quotes with my fingers here, segregation by choice, but kind of government-imposed segregation, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, and again, this is one of these topics that's really hard for us to probe as deeply as we might like to, but it's definitely something that we wanted to bring up, these little green boxes and this idea of where people of all colors are living in the United States. I think if anything, this just looking at this map is a good jumping off point for conversations about race and segregation because you, you there's the speculation is completely out of the question then. Everything you're looking at is factual and true. And if you want to have a conversation about this stuff, I think that this racial dot map is really the place to begin. And it's an amazing work of art in addition to being a pretty incisive commentary without really being a commentary, right? It's a data visualization. There's not much in the way of text to go along with it, except a methodology section. And yet it becomes extremely powerful, perhaps particularly because it doesn't have accompanying text, because it can just saturate your eyeballs. And you get this kind of amazing sense without having to to read about it. You can just see it. Right, you're kind of forced to draw your own conclusions. I think that for me, the two natural questions that come out of it are, how did we get to be this way? And how do we undo this? Exactly. You've nailed it. Maybe you might want to add a third question that is a little complicated, right? How do we get this way? Is it a good or bad thing that we are this way? If it is a bad thing, how do we undo it? And I think that both you and I are of the mind that it's, certainly not an explicitly good thing to be living in such a segregated society. But I think it's important to make sure that we answer that values question and then say, assuming that we agree, it's not a great thing. How do we undo it? So that third one's a tough question, but I think I might have an approach to an answer for the first two. So we want to understand why people got to be so racially segregated to begin with, or like what are measures we could take to become unsegregated, right? These are kind of opposite sides of the same question. So what I want to present to you is something called Parable of the Polygons, which is a playable blog post that was created by Vihart and Nikki Case. So wait, I have a question already. <laughs> what, is, what, is a, what is a playable blog post? Right. So a playable blog post It looks like a blog, except you're kind of stopping every few lines along the way, and there are little mini games you can play. So you can imagine this is a blog post that you're reading along, and as you read, 
you have these little interactive pieces that you can play with to help you understand better what's going on. So what this post is about, well, it's based on this Nobel Prize winning paper in game theory from the 70s by this guy called Thomas Schelling. And maybe I'll let one of the creators, Nikki Case. Hi, I'm Nikki Case, and I make open source interactive art. Give a better explanation than I of what Thomas Schelling's paper says. So the story goes that once upon a time, Thomas Schelling was thinking about racial segregation in major cities. Uh, at the time, the conventional wisdom was that it was due to the majority of people being viciously racist. But Schelling was on a flight uh, from a racially segregated major city, I, I think New York, uh, when he thought about this, this specific problem. And on this airplane, he like just whipped out a checkerboard and put some nickels and dimes on it. Uh, the nickels and dimes represented two different quote-unquote races uh, living on this checkerboard of a neighborhood. Then Schelling moved these pieces around uh, according to only one simple rule. They only want to move if less than a third of their neighbors are like them. And we have this exact game in uh, Parable of the Polygons. It's that, you know, instead of nickels and dimes, it's triangles and squares. If you play this game, you'll see that this one simple rule leads to a counterintuitive result that a very small bias can result in massive segregation. So wait, put this in some real terms for me. When you say a third of my neighbors, what exactly does that mean? Yeah, okay, so imagine you live in a city. You have your house. You have your two neighbors directly adjacent. You have the three in front of you, right, across, diagonal, diagonal, and then you have the three behind you. Right, that gives you a total of eight neighbors, right? Mm -hmm. And what this is saying that is that if less than three of those houses are white people like you, then you're moving. Oh wow! So that means that actually five of my eight neighbors could look very different from me. Right. And and like in my head, if if I lived in a neighborhood where three people looked like me and five people didn't look like me, I would feel like I lived in a relatively diverse neighborhood. Right. It doesn't feel egregious. Doesn't, it doesn't feel like egregiously racist or blatantly hungry for segregation or anything like that. And that's what was really remarkable about this. You don't need a majority of viciously racist uh, people in society. Like even a mostly well-meaning uh, group of people can still produce really nasty results. So what Thomas Schelling did in his paper and then what Nikki Case and Vihart pulled off so beautifully in their playable post, Parable of the Polygons, is they really turned this into a game. So you're looking at fields of, instead of people now, shapes. You have squares and you have triangles and you want to move them into neighborhoods where they're happy. And happiness is achieved by obeying this one simple rule that they will move if less than one third of their neighbors look like them. And what's so surprising is that when you actually play this game, you wind up with a completely segregated field every time. So for the first game in the post, you have a really small field of polygons, maybe it's 10 by 10, and you're just clicking and dragging them until their little polygon frowny faces turn into smiley faces. And by the time they're all happy, that is by the time they all have the appropriate neighbors given by the rule, you have the squares all on one side and the triangles all on the other. And throughout the post, the field of polygons gets bigger and bigger. Eventually, you're dealing with maybe a 30 by 30 or 50 by 50 grid. And sure enough, every single time, you result in 
total segregation of the population. Sometimes maybe you'll have like a little island of triangles inside a sea of squares, but more or less you are getting really segregated populations. Populations that if these were people, the segregation would be really noteworthy. Okay, and so each one of these squares and triangles has just this one simple bias that it wants to live in an area where at least three of the eight blocks that touch it look like it. And that's it? That's it. Wow. Yeah, so you can see that this is kind of ripe for readjustment to other scenarios. One time we tried the anti-bias. So instead of wanting to move if less than a third of your neighbors are like you, you would want to move if all of your neighbors are like you. Uh, this kind of, I guess, pro-diversity uh, kind of anti-bias. So say you're living there in your city block. You've got your eight neighbors. You're saying, I'm only going to stay if three of them look like me. But if more than five of them look like me, that's too white. I'm out of there. Interesting. And so what happens when you kind of put the anti-bias upper bound on things? You're, you've got like a floor coming up from the bottom and a ceiling coming down from the top in terms of how willing you are to let other people not look like you and how willing you are to live around people who look all like you. So there has to be some perfect middle ground of tolerance that creates non-segregation. And this is a really cool feature of this playable post. When you look at this grid, there's a little slide bar that says I'll move if less than X percent or greater than Y percent of my neighbors are like me. And you can just kind of play with it and see what it takes to have 0% segregation. So for example, if I move if less than a third look like me or greater than 80% look like me, there's still some segregation. You don't get perfect 0% segregation. You still see real clumping of neighborhoods. It's really the upper bound that matters a lot, I think. So you want people to want to move if lots of people look like them. And that kind of mitigates the effect of also wanting to move if a certain percentage don't look like you. But it has to be kind of an affirmative bias. I actually want to move if too many people do look like me. It has to be an affirmative statement that these people, shapes, I should say, make. So I think what's really interesting about this is that, it, I mean, obviously this is just a simulation and this is not necessarily exactly what's happening in the world. But if we take this simulation to be realistic to be what's happening, it answers two of the questions that we posed in the beginning. It answers the question of how do we become segregated? And that is by saying, I'll move if less than a certain amount of people look like me. And how do we become unsegregated is to say, I'm actively going to move if too many of my neighbors look like me. Do you have the uh, segregation bias and the anti-segregation bias? And they kind of do and undo segregation of neighborhoods. Yeah, exactly. And I think that the wrapping up section of the playable post says it really nicely. There are these three major points that Byheart and Nikki Case make, which are that a small individual bias can lead to a large collective bias. Um, they also say the past haunts the present. The metaphor we use at the end of Power of Polygons is like, if you wanted to keep your room clean, it's not enough to just reduce how much mess you make. You have to like actually actively clean up your room, you know? Right. You actually have to go in and actively clean things up. And that kind of leads to the third point, which is that if we want to work against shapeism or in its more serious form, racism or bias in society, we actually need to affirmatively demand diversity near us, which I think is a really interesting point. And somewhat of a challenging one, right? Because 
This is on individuals, not on governments or policymakers necessarily, as far as Vihart and Nikki Case are concerned. Of course, if you want to look back historically, you could certainly find plenty of evidence to support that it was institutional racism that got us in this pickle to begin with. If you start looking at mortgages and equal housing acts and what have you. Right. So the idea is that it's, it's so easy to get people to want to live near people that look like them. You can build in incentives into institutions. For example, you can say, we will not provide favorable mortgage rates if black people live on this block, which was the case for a long time. And so what happens then is that white individuals say, well, I don't want to live near black people because I want a good mortgage rate. So it's really easy to create those incentives in kind of an institutional way. What's harder to do is to get individuals to have an affirmative, positive diversity bias. Although I don't think it's impossible. Call me a a policy devotee, but I think there is some role for policy there. I think that, again, we've just tiptoed right up to the brink of a really deep issue that we probably can't really scoop our way to the bottom of. But I think this post is also just a fantastic jumping off point to start a conversation as far as having this mathematical underpinning to understand this crazy question that doesn't really seem to have an answer. What we said at the beginning of this episode is as true now as it was 20 minutes ago which is that we were not intending to solve the problems of racism, bias, and segregation in this country, nor were we planning to delve fully into them. However, we do think that we've provided you with two tools through which you can better understand them. Right, and that was exactly our hope, that we would give you some some tools and skills to be able to start having the conversation about racism and segregation. Because it's something that's ever-present and kind of very interesting to talk about, but it's hard to actually say anything when you don't know anything. And this gives you at least... That's exactly right, Anna. That's really good. Right. This is like a data-based approach to understanding a really difficult social problem. Exactly. And you don't want to be as we sometimes say, too smart for knowledge, right? You want to bring facts to the table. You want to bring facts to the table and you want to promote conversation by saying, here's something I know. Here's something I've learned. Here's a way that maybe we can understand this a little bit better. And the racial dot map definitely paints an image that, as we have described, is really stark and very clear about how things break down around racial and ethnic lines in this country. And we think Parable of the Polygons, even though it is reflective of some simple rules, is a helpful tool for thinking about the relationship between small individual bias and large collective action. So what you can do now is go to our website, theotherhalf.acmescience.com. And on that website, you'll find links to the racial dot map and Parable of the Polygons. And you can check those out on your own and dig as deep as you wish and We can't promise you that you can bring an end to racism and segregation, but we can promise you that you'll be the most interesting person at your next dinner party. Absolutely. So check it out, theotherhalf.acmescience.com. 
And now we need to thank people. Yeah. So thank you, Anna. Thank you, Annie. This was really fun. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we should start by thanking our executive our executive producer, Samuel Hansen. He also did some editing, actually all of the editing for this episode. And for that, we are extraordinarily grateful. Samuel Hansen also runs the Acme Science family of podcasts, which will be hosting this very podcast, among other great podcasts about mathematics, which you should definitely check out. And who else? Well, we want to thank Dustin Cable and Nikki Case for taking the time to talk to us. Absolutely. And um, Wesleyan University for admitting us and introducing us to each other. Mm-hmm. And then the Dunkin' Donuts on Washington Street in Middletown, Connecticut, for keeping us fueled with two medium iced coffees with skim milk and one Splenda into perpetuity. <laughs> essential. Essential. <laughs> and thank you all for listening. We look forward to chatting with you again soon.